Our scripture reading this morning comes uh, from Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 26. That's page 72 in your Black Pew Bible, if you have that and want to follow along. I will ask you to stand with us as we read his word this morning. Exodus chapter 20, 18 through 26. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that fear of him may uh, be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses draw near to the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourself gods of gold. An altar of the earth shall make for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I, may, where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it on hewn stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you profane it, and you, will not, you shall not go up by my steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 through 26 is our teaching text this morning. Maybe um, this may have, uh, this experience may have happened uh, to you. You've, um, if you have children in your home or you have siblings, when maybe you're supposed to clean the house and you have... Um, kind of the bossy Betty, the eldest sibling, um, takes it upon themselves. They put their drill sergeant hat on and they start telling everybody what to do. And then what inevitably happens? Yeah, fight. Yeah, the younger siblings, they, they start, uh, they don't really like. Um, and and, and just, just some help to older siblings. If you're an older sibling and um, this, this experience that, when you start telling somebody what to do and no one, everyone questions your authority, why are they questioning your authority? Most likely, it's not that they don't want people telling them what to do because children, they're told what to do all the time. But usually, more times than not, it's the tone. It's the tone, right? You know, that Proverbs 15, when a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so the harshness of the, the drill sergeant type tone really causes people to get angry. So there's just a word to the wise there. But you have these younger siblings and they start questioning, well, why should I listen to you? And who gave you the right to tell everybody else what to do? Ever happened in your home? I'm not saying it's ever happened in mine. But I, I was thinking about that as I looked at Exodus chapter 20. We took a, a little reprieve from the book of Exodus. We're walking verse by verse through it. But then 
we got to the Christmas season and Advent season, so we looked at the incarnation of Jesus. And so we're coming back to Exodus chapter 20 today. But Exodus chapter 20 and God, verses 1 and 2, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Just like we might question someone's authority, we might ask, why should I listen to you? Who gave you the right to tell me what to do? Well, the, the Israelites, they may have asked that same question. God, why should we listen to you? And so God, speaking to his children, answers their question. Why should they listen to the Lord? And the Lord tells them in verse 2, because I'm the one who delivered you from slavery. Do you remember you were in bondage, miserable, making bricks day in and day out. And, and, and the Israelites called to the Lord, and the Lord graciously delivered them from bondage. So at the beginning of the, these Ten Commandments, God tells his people why they should listen to him because, they, because he rescued them. And he's a merciful God, isn't he? And then he goes into verse 3 through 17 and he tells them his desires for their lives, how they should conduct themselves, how they should live, what their hearts should look like. And what he's doing, he's also revealing his character as well. In fact, that's the first point in our, from our text is that God's law is a transcript of his character. So he goes through these Ten Commandments, giving them the ten words, the first commandment being what? One God. Everybody's asleep. It's a hang we shouldn't talk about hangovers in church, you know. Uh, we don't do that much here. But we've got kind of a Christmas hangover. I get it. I get it. So bear with me. It won't, be, it won't be too painful. We'll get through it. And then we can go about our day resting up from yesterday's day of rest, right? Recouping from Christmas. We kind of have a... Christmas falling on Saturday is kind of funky, isn't it? It kind of throws us all off. I get it. I'm with you. So bear with me. I'll, I'll try to tell a few jokes, make fun of somebody. Uh, so, so bear with me. We'll keep us all awake. But God goes into the, the Ten Commandments, the first one being one God, right? There's only one God. Put no other gods before me. One God. The second commandment is no idols, right? No idols. Elise, are you going to do this or not? <laughs> are you going to do it or not? Are you? No idols, right? Uh, number three, yeah, don't take the Lord's name in vain. You have to do the motions. You have to do the motions. Connor, yeah, you hadn't been here, but I, this is just the way I learned it, and everybody else is learning the same way. If you go through the little motions and do that, you can remember them. Uh, the commandment number four is what? Yeah, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, right? It's like on Sabbath, like today, what you're going to do is when you leave here, you're going to go eat lunch, and then you're going to take a, a nap, right? Yeah. Commandment five, honor your father and mother. Yes, Sir, yes, ma'am. Commandment six, don't murder. Yeah. Seven, don't commit adultery. And how you remember that, these two have to stay together, right? Commandment eight, you don't steal, because in some countries, what do they do? If you steal, they, right? Yeah, don't steal. Commandment nine, yeah, don't lie, right? Because if nine people said it happened this way and one person said it happened another way, 
he's probably lying, right? And then commandment 10, don't covet, right? Covet. And that's the one that we struggle with, isn't it? We want, we want other people stuff. So God tells the, the nation, this is why you should obey me, because I've rescued you and delivered you from bondage. And then he goes into these Ten Commandments. And then he finishes up, and when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. See, what God does when he gives the nation of Israel his law, what he's doing is he's showing himself to the nation. As we read the commands of God, and they tell us what we should do, and the precepts of God instructing us what we shouldn't do, God is revealing his own character to his people. And see, God is perfect. And in these books, these first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses, also called the Pentateuch, God is revealing his character and what he is like to his people. David Strain, he says, before we see ourselves and our sin, before we see our world and its dysfunction and brokenness, before we see our desperate need of grace, we're to see first his brilliance and his majesty, his lofty grandeur, the permanent purity and solid glory of his person and his work. We are, we're taking a break Wednesday, as Chris said. Uh, we're not having Beaver Kids, we're not having Mission Mill, no services Wednesday night. But the following week, on the 5th of January, we're going to start back our Beaver Kids program, and our adults will all be together. And what we're going to do is we're going to study inductively through the books of First and Second Thessalonians. So we'll do that together. And we're going to study that, what I, well, like I said, inductively. What that means is we look to the Scriptures to see what the Scriptures say, right? Um, and one of the questions, we use a four-question format in that study, and, and some of you have done that many times. What's the third question? Do you remember? What's it teach us about God? And that's, real, real, that's an important question to answer every time we study the Scriptures. What does this teach us about the Lord? And this is the purpose of the Scriptures, isn't it? For us to see God and to know Him. Yet when the law was given, the Israelites didn't understand fully that God was after not just outward actions, but inward attitudes as well. And I don't think the Israelites at that moment, they, they didn't fully understand God's will and His character and what He would have for them to do. But they understood enough of what God was willing to know that they didn't measure up. In fact, in, in chapters 19, verse 8, they just went, they're traveling. Remember, they were delivered from Egypt. They went through the Red Sea, and they're traveling in the wilderness towards the promised land, the land that God's going to give them. And, and they ran, they had some issues along the way, right? They didn't have water twice, and God gave them water. They didn't have anything to eat, and God gave them manna. They ran into a group of people called the Amalekites who was trying to scalp them, right? And so God gave them victory over the, the wicked Amalekites. So God is just not only delivering them, but just blessing them and leading them and directing them. But he, he brings them to the Mount Sinai, and that's where they're going to stay for 11 months while they receive the law of the Lord. And, and as soon as they get there, God gives them some instruction about how he's going to give the law to them. And so in Genesis 19.8, And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the, 
of the people to the Lord. They're like, we're going to obey the Lord. Yeah, we're here. We're going to receive the instruction from the Lord, and we're going, we're going to obey. Whatever God wants us to do, that's what we're going to do. So they were eager. They are saying they want to obey the Lord. But now they're, they've just heard the Ten Commandments being given. And remember, God had been, up to this point, had been speaking through Moses. Moses is the prophet of God, the mouthpiece of God, the spokesperson for God. He's come and delivered the message to the people. But the Ten Commandments, he didn't do that. He didn't speak through the mediator, Moses. He spoke directly to the people. And they, they hear from the Lord directly these Ten Commandments. And they're overwhelmed. They're fearful and they're trembling. They can't handle. They can't handle it. God is holy and he is awesome and his demand on their lives is so weighty. And when we're told in the New Covenant, you know, we hear the law and we try to obey the law, of course, as people who love the Lord will not obey what he says. But no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law, right? Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. And then James tells us, Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So they're here in the Ten Commandments and they're in all the Lord. They're fearful of the Lord. It's similar to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. He had a vision of the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is a vision Isaiah had of the Lord, and he's awestruck at what he saw. And that's similar to what's happened here. God has given the law to his people, and his people, the, the nation of Israel, they're in awe of the Lord. They're awestruck. And they're fearful, and they're trembling. They had come into the presence of the Almighty God, the ruler of the cosmos. And what had happened... With the giving of the law, the Lord also gave them a visible, visible manifestation of his presence. These displays that they saw, they kind of undergird the fact that he's righteous and holy and transcendent and a God of judgment who, who needs to be obeyed. Notice in verse 18, the Israelites, they saw lightning and smoke and they heard trumpets and thunder. This phenomenon is often associated with God as he speaks to his people. And it's interesting, up to this point, he's been speaking to Moses, and Moses would hear God and deliver the message to the Lord, but now he's speaking directly to the people. And they see these, these seismic phenomenon take place, the smoke and the trumpets and the lightning, and they hear the thunder. And we see this often in the scriptures we saw it in Isaiah. We see it in Psalm 18, verse 7 and 8. David calls to God for help against his enemies, and this is how the Lord responds. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was, he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. So you see this, this 
lightning and smoke and thunder. First Samuel chapter 2, Hannah, after the Lord gave her a, a son whom she gave back to the Lord, she prays, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces against them. He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. We see this thunder. We see that uh, again. First Samuel 7, uh, verse 10, as Samuel was offering up a burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel, but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were routed before Israel. As the Lord speaks to his people, it is oftentimes coupled with these visible manifestations of his glory. William Robertson, Nicole, he writes, one can't obey. The Israelites, they couldn't fully obey the law, but it could arrest the attention and educate the conscience. See, the law did its job. It revealed to the nation God's character. See, the, the standard God gave in his Ten Commandments is very weighty. It's very lofty. And when he exposes and, and reveals his character, what it also does, at the same time, it exposes our sin. I was thinking about this. I'm on a stage here. People, if you're, those of you who are watching through Facebook Live, you think I'm a really big man. Um, and I'm not. I'm not very big at all. But you can't really tell how big I am. I'm up here, right, on stage. And you might look back among the people and, and, you know, seeing people of different heights, you know. But like I was, I was seeing Jim Swain. Jim, you don't know how tall Jim is. And if you're looking and say, well, it's, it's the pastor. Is he as tall as Jim? And if you don't know, if you've never met Jim, you've never seen him standing up, you're not real sure. I said, well, I'm not real sure. Maybe he's taller than the pastor. I'm not real sure. But then, all right, all right Jim, I'm going to ask you to stand up. But you stand up there and say, well, yeah, he looks like he's, he's taller than the preacher. Right, and then you get real close. Come here, they were close, and then you're able to see. Yeah, the, the <laughs> preacher's really small, right? Yeah, he's real, real small, right? And so that's what happens. You, you can't really tell. You can't really tell how short I am until you get real close. But you know what happens when we, when God gives us His law, and we study it, and we read it, and we draw near to it, and we meditate on it. You know what it it does? It shows us how small we really are. And that's why it's really important that we study God's Word, that we read it and meditate on it. Because we see our, we're able to see not just His character, but we see our sin. And that's real important. Second point, sinful man needs a mediator. Verse 19 of Exodus chapter 20. They stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Now the Israelites, they, they're asking for a mediator. And it's interesting that after God spoke to them, they wanted Moses to mediate for them because that, that wasn't always the case. And if you continue from, now they're wanting a mediator, and if you, we continue the story, which we will, you're going to see there's a lot of times where they're, they're not sure if they want Moses to mediate for them or not. They're going to end up grumbling against him. And they've already done that previously. We've seen them grumble and, well, who, who, who put you in charge kind of attitude. But they're asking for a mediator. They're pretty fickle, aren't they, the, the Israelites? But you think about a prisoner. The first thing is someone who, when they're locked up, what do they do? They try to hire a lawyer. 
someone who will speak on their behalf. See, the Israelites, they didn't want to deal with God directly after hearing. And, and they'd been hearing from the Lord through the mediator. And all of a sudden, when God speaks directly, gives the Ten Commandments, all of a sudden they're overwhelmed. Too much. We don't want to hear from God directly. Let's, let's, let's let Moses mediate and deliver God's message to us. And you know what happened? That's what happened. And they began to respect, at this point in time, Moses a little better. And that's what, that's what God said would happen. But as we see God, only then can we see ourselves for what we really are, sinners in need of a mediator and a savior. And sometimes people will say, you know, I just, I just wish I could hear from God myself. You know, the word's not sufficient for them. And they say, I just like for God to speak. I like to hear God's voice. Well, when you, oftentimes when you see in Scripture people hearing the voice of God, it didn't sit real well with them. We saw Isaiah, right? And we see it again in Revelation chapter 1. Verse 12 and 17, this is John receiving the revelation, the vision, and he's going to write down what he saw. John writes, And I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And, I, and on turning, I saw seven gold lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. He's seeing a, the Lord, right? The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, when I saw him, I was, no, what did he do? He said, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. You know, some people say, I, you know, I just, I just want to hear directly from the Lord. I wish he would speak to me. That hadn't gone real well for a lot of folks. And the Israelites here, they're not saying they don't want to hear from the Lord. They're not saying that. They're saying, no, we want to hear from the Lord. We have to hear from the Lord. We want to hear his instruction, but we just don't want to hear it directly. We want to hear it from a mediator. And what is a mediator? Mediator is someone who stands in the gap. They bring two parties together, and that's what the Israelites needed. They, they saw their sin up against God's character, and they needed someone to stand between heaven and earth to bridge the gap between God's deity and their humanity. A mediator goes where no one else is willing to go or would dare to go. And while the nation of Israel, they're trembling in fear, what does Moses do? All by his lonesome, drawing near, to meet with the Lord. Isn't that something? Moses, the, the mediator. And what they were asking for, God had already provided, hadn't he? Because Moses had been mediating ever since the burning bush experience there in the... out why he was shepherding sheep, taking care of Jethro's sheep. He was commanded by God to go be the nation of Israel's mediator. But this experience of hearing from God directly was good for the nation of Israel. They understood God more clearly, and as a result, they saw themselves more correctly also. And from verse 22 onward, Moses is their mediator. Many think that the Lord is, is, is like a, a grandpa-type figure. Now, some of you might be grandfathers. You might be mean to your grandkids, but most grandfathers aren't. They're kind of that milk toast type, right? That spends way too much money on their grandkids for Christmas. 
They're kind of pushover types. Not all, but many are. But a lot of people view the Lord as a grandfather type figure. And they think, you know, I'm not sure I need a mediator. I'd like to just talk to the Lord face to face. Who needs a a mediated experience with God? I want God to speak to me directly. And some would say, you know what, the Lord would do that. I would, I, would, I would believe. If the Lord spoke to me like he did the people in the Bible, I would I'd probably believe. I probably would follow him. But God who gives us his character as our standard and whose law is accompanied by thunder and lightning and smoke and trumpet blast, it's not really safe for people like that. There's a, a book by C.S. Lewis Many of you have read it, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and it's a story, fictitious, made-up story, but it's, it's quite interesting. It's a, it's a good read. I want to read from you out of this book. These kids are in this fictitious world, and Lucy is talking to Mr. Beaver. And they're talking about this certain figure, Aslan. And she she asks, is is he a man? Aslan a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I'll tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Aslan is the Christ figure in the story. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting the lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. It's such an interesting story. I like that. That's my favorite part of the book. God, his law, when he gives his law to his people, it's a transcript of his character. It reveals to us who he is. And, And by seeing who he is, We're able to see our sin. Is God safe? For sinners, God isn't safe. But He is good. Leads us to our third point. What to do when His commands are broken. Look at verse 22 through 26. Israel received the law of God. They recognized their their wanting, their lacking something. To be able to keep the law is going to be difficult to do. So what are they they to do when they disobey? And this is a section here in verse 22 through 26. And this starts a a new part of the, the book, if you will. Some people call this the book of the covenant or the covenant code. God has spoken 
given these ten commands, and they're very general commands. They're general absolutes. They're universal. Don't steal. Don't murder. Don't lie. But starting here, they're going to kind of flesh it out a little bit. God, on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, inspiring Moses to write down these laws he's going to receive and tell us how we should live. But here, God is instructing them about worship. Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourself that I have taught with you from heaven. God directly gave them his commands. Verse 23, You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourself gods of gold. It's kind of interesting. Why would he repeat? What, what commands is that? Sounds like num the big number one and big number two, right? Yeah, don't have any other gods before me. Don't make idols. Why would he have to repeat himself here? He just, just told them that. Well, if you think about, think ahead, what's going to happen when Moses, shortly after this, Moses is going back up on the mountain. We'll begin to see that next week. He's going back up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he's going to receive the law. He's going to be there a really long time. Because God just doesn't give ten words, the Ten Commandments. He gives a lot of instruction about how to live their lives, how to worship. You remember there that Moses was there for an awful long time, and the people got kind of sidetracked and got kind of bored. You remember? And what did they have Aaron do? Yeah, make an idol. So why does this need to be repeated? Well, it needs to be repeated because it needs to be repeated. It's very important. And it's really easy to get sidetracked and commit idolatry. What's going to happen when they blow it and when they disobey the Lord? And they will. God wants them to know how to respond. And he speaks in verse 24 about altars. This is kind of strange. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. Now, if you think about altars, altars are to be built and sacrifices were to be made. And, and sacrifices had to be made, right? Because sin was occurring in the lives of the Israelites. But sacrifice had been made since the beginning. Remember Cain and Abel? They're kind of back towards the beginning of when it all began. They made, they offered sacrifices, didn't they? I mean, that's why Cain killed Abel. It was about a sacrifice that was offered to the Lord. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. Noah, that was kind of way back in the beginning. Noah, he made an altar. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. That's after the water receded and he came out of the ark. Because he made it an altar and he offered sacrifices to the Lord. Moses, we've even seen Moses in Exodus chapter 17, verse 15, after they defeated the Amalekites. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner. He's offered up sacrifice to the Lord. Yeah, Abraham, he made altars, offered up sacrifices. But these altars are to be simple. It's kind of interesting. Verse 24, an altar of earth you shall make for me. Look at verse 25. If you make an, me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane me. It's like, what's going on with this? It's kind of strange. Well, think about 
the context. They're living among, they're going to be living among Canaanites, wicked pagan peoples who, who built these grandiose, incredible, beautiful altars made of cut stone, and they were beautiful. And they offered up these, these offerings, uh, sacrifices to their pagan gods. And God said, we don't want you to be like that. We want you to keep it really, really simple. Make it out of earth or make it out of stones. You just put stones together. It doesn't have to be pretty because what's the focus? The focus is on you're offering that sacrifice to the Lord. We don't you get sidetracked. Keep it simple. And their acts of worship should be pure. Verse 26, and you shall not go up by steps to my altar. Like, why can't it be steps? It's kind of funny. One commentary said, well, they didn't have whitey tidies back then. They wore robes. Now, later on in the law, God's going to instruct them, the high priest, they're going to start wearing linen undergarments, linen drawers. You're wearing a robe, you're walking up steps, people are going to look up, look up your skirt, right? Let's be real careful there. And the Canaanite worshipers, you think about their worship, there was a lot of immorality involved. Keep it simple and pure. And offer up your sacrifices to the Lord. Some were burnt offerings, and they would be consumed, totally burnt up. And then peace offerings, they're going to be cooked on the fire, and then the sacrifice, the meat's going to be eaten. Different types of sacrifice for different types of situations. But God was to be worshiped. Despite their sin, He's to be worshiped. How is He to be worshiped? This is how you do it, God says. When you blow it, and they would make an altar, and, and this what this wouldn't take place just on Mount Sinai. Later on, of course, we're going to have the the tabernacle, which is a mobile place, you know, mobile place of worship, and then they're going to have the temple. But where, wherever you are, when an altar is made, this is how it should be done. Sacrifices to be made because of your sin. So, how do we apply this to our lives? Well, firstly, I think we need to put, our, put ourselves in a position to hear the law of God because the law of God reveals to us God's character. It also reveals to us our sin. And then as believers, as followers of the Lord, lovers of God, it teaches us how we should live our lives, how we should please them. And it's not always going to cut to the heart. We read this and you think, man, we read the law. These, they heard the, the, the law of God and all these these seismic phenomenon, all this wild stuff going on with natural things. Well, that doesn't always happen. We're not always cut to the heart. Sometimes we read the law, we're cut to the heart, we're convicted, right? Read through the Ten Commandments and it just, it's like God puts you in a full Nelson, right? And you're cut to the heart, there's conviction. But that's not always the case. In fact, Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11, this is, David's speaking about the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. So not every time we read the law, we draw near the Lord, we're studying his word, are we cut to the heart? Not always, but sometimes. Sometimes we need to be cut to the heart, don't we? We need to see our sin. So I put, put ourselves in a position to, to hear the, 
law of God. The second question, or second point, I guess just by way of application, is, is God safe? We're, we're, we're reading this text and God revealing his law and speaking directly to the people and they're in fear and they're in awe, they're awestruck and they're, they're taking steps back away from the Lord. Is God safe? And for those who haven't trusted the Son who came to be born in Bethlehem and to give his life as a ransom for many, the, the answer to that question is no. God is a merciful God. He redeemed the Israelites, saved them and rescued them from Egypt. But he's also just. And I think one of the things, that's one of these all this lightning and thunder and and trumpets and smoke is pointing to judgment. God, God is a, a merciful God and a loving God, but he's also a God of justice and judgment. Revelation 20, 15, when this is at the consummation of all things, when judgment is made, you have the great white, white throne room judgment. And verse 15 says, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, they get a pass because the granddaddy type figure of God is milk toast and sweet and would dare not judge the wayward. Now that's not what it says. It says it'll be thrown into the lake of fire. God is not safe, but he is good. Because we know him to be good because he redeemed Israel and he provided a mediator for them who would hear from the Lord and speak to the people. But the book of Hebrews tells us we have one greater than Moses. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. It's comparing, a lot of it's comparing Moses and Jesus, and Jesus is better. That's the theme of the book of Hebrews. You thought Moses is awesome. I mean, think about what Moses did. The people, the nation of Israel, they're, they're running, they're dissing themselves from God. They're saying, we don't want to hear from the Lord. Moses, you go and you hear from the Lord and you tell us what he says. And Moses, by himself, that's what he does. Moses has nothing on Jesus. Because Jesus is the God man. We've talked about it, the incarnation God took on flesh and he walked among sinners and he he not only delivers the Father's will but he takes the sinner's punishment. He was punished for sinners. The Father poured out his wrath upon the Son and the Son died and he was buried and on the third day he rose. He did so much more than Moses could ever do. He is a better mediator than Moses. He completely atones for sin. And what Moses did, Jesus did to the uttermost. Jesus accomplished what Moses' work alluded to. All the things that Moses was doing points us to Jesus. We have a greater mediator. If you'll just believe, if you'll repent and believe the work of Christ, he'll be your mediator. Is God safe? but he's good.
Do you have a mediator? I mean, God's nearness, we, we learn here, can be terrifying. Is this intimacy with God can be a frightening thing for a sinner. And all this, all these things going on, all this lightning and thunder and smoke and trumpets, it's interesting. You see those things from time to time throughout Scripture as God reveals His will. But then you see it at the cross. What happened when Jesus died? Middle of the day, darkness, earthquakes. So much so that when he, he died, what did the centurion say that was there? Surely, this, is, this, isn't, a, this isn't coincidence. Things are happening are crazy. Surely this is the Son of God. You'll see those similar things when Jesus returns. Matthew 24, verse 29 through 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the earth to the other. You'll see this again when Jesus returns. If you're not resting in Christ, if he's not your mediator, you need to repent and believe. That's the application for us today. Repent and believe and trust the Lord, the work He's done for us, a greater mediator than Moses. And for us who are believers, let's read the Scriptures. Let's read the Scriptures so we can know who God is more intimately and so we can know who we are more clearly. And the result will be us obeying the Lord more faithfully. Let's pray. We'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your word. And your law is perfect. It does revive us. It does help us in so many ways. We're thankful that we have copies of it correctly translated in our own language, easy to understand. What a blessing it is to have your word so we can know you. Father, may your church be faithful to read it. And even for some, maybe we would need to make a, a, a commitment to, to reading the scriptures more. And we will use maybe some of these reading plans to help us get back into reading the scriptures. Father, help us be people of your word. And Father, for those who are here who have yet to repent and believe. Father, may they understand that they're not safe. Things won't be okay. If Jesus returns before we breathe our last breath on this earth, they will be judged and thrown into the lake of fire. Father, may you help them see what 
the Israelites saw on Mount Sinai. Lord, may they be in awe of you. And in turn, may they see their need for a Savior, for a mediator, greater than Moses. Father, will you save sinners today? Break hearts and change lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Sunday morning services at Beaver Baptist Church. We are currently studying the book of Exodus. If you have any questions about today's message, or would like more information about our church, call us at 901-837-2904. You can also visit our website at beaverbaptist.com.